Well, good morning. Um, if we haven't met yet, my name is Ryan, and I have recently, um, by God's grace, joined the staff here at Trinity Presbyterian Church. And I'm glad to be here this morning um, for the first time uh, since becoming since coming on staff, preaching God's word to God's people. It's a great privilege um, to be here. Um, I don't know how you all are doing this morning, um, but I myself am thankful to be in the house of the Lord, among God's people, worshiping God. It's been a, a bit of a whirlwind of a weekend for me, um, and so it is good to be um, in the midst of God's people this morning. Um, we're entering into a brief interlude um, in our study of Matthew during this Advent season. Um, and before we um, enter into Advent, um, we're going to take a little sidestep this morning and take a look at the book of Colossians. Um, it's a letter in which Paul holds up the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Christ as the head of all creation and of the church. Um, so as we turn to Colossians this morning, Colossians chapter 1, uh, would you pray with me for God's help that he will illuminate the truth for us as we hear his word together. You pray with me. Our Father and our God, we give you thanks for the great love that you have for us and that you have poured into our hearts, that you have with your gracious, merciful, sovereign hand of salvation given us hope that we, and we thank you for the good news of the gospel this morning, that we ask by your spirit, you will soften the hardness of our hearts, open our ears and our eyes, that we may hear what you teach and delight in your ways. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Would you hear this reading from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day that you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, So as we quickly approach Thanksgiving Day this week, the kickoff to the holiday season, folks hustling and bustling to prepare for sumptuous meals and to gather with family and friends. Many are sitting in this room struggling to find a reason to be thankful. Or else, though you may find reasons for thankfulness, your reasons for distress may far outweigh your reasons for thankfulness. While I don't know this congregation that well yet, I've already heard tragic stories of illness and heartache and loss. You may be entering this season with family tensions, strained relationships. These are all things that plague our broken world. But as we dive into the book of Colossians this morning, um, a letter that exhorts its readers to Thanksgiving at least six times in four short chapters, Paul gives us a supreme object and source of enduring thankfulness to ponder and meditate on this Thanksgiving week and all year round. In Colossians 2, Paul says, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Three times in chapter 3, exhorting the Colossians to put on the new self, Paul tells them to be thankful, to have thankfulness in their hearts, and to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then finally, as Paul begins to close this letter to the Colossians in chapter 4, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Paul's teaching us throughout this letter to be thankful for God's grace in our lives and for the hope of the gospel. It's the work of God's grace in the Colossians' lives that is the basis for Paul's prayer here in chapter 1 that they continue to grow in their knowledge of him. And so therefore, thankfulness permeates Paul's prayers for them, and Paul prays that thankfulness will permeate their lives as well. Paul's thankfulness is based on what the Father has done for believers through his Son. And the majesty of the Son becomes Paul's focus throughout the rest of this chapter. What Christ did for us in his first coming, ultimately at the cross and resurrection, gives us full confidence that we will be loved and accepted and welcomed when he returns in his second coming. And this calls for overwhelming gratitude to God. Now, many of you will know that Paul's letter to the Colossians has its context in the threat of false teaching. While we don't know exactly what the specifics of the false teaching are, we can deduce from the exhortations and the encouragement that Paul gives, that the centrality and sufficiency of Christ are key to to overcoming the teaching against which Paul is warning. Over and over again in his letter, he points 
to the supremacy of Christ as paramount to the Christian walk, a point that has been challenged by the culture and these false teachers in Colossae. A key question appears to be, is Christ only part of the answer, or is he all-sufficient? Paul's concerned lest the Colossians become confused about the nature of the Christian life. He's concerned that some of them have been a little disappointed by the Christian life. But Paul's masterful response here in his Colossian letter has served the church well through the centuries as it has repeatedly faced similar heresies and is in fact today assaulted by false teachers who see Christ as only part of the answer. But at the beginning of what is perhaps Paul's most polemical letter that he has written, he begins with thanksgiving. In other words, before he defends the gospel against these false teachers, Paul prioritizes giving thanks. So I want us to take a look at two main points in the first half of chapter one this morning, which are the thankfulness of Paul as he begins this letter and the thankfulness of the Colossians. So the thankfulness of Paul, um, as I said before from the outset, as in many of Paul's letters, he expresses this immense gratitude. The source of Paul's thankfulness is the fruit of the gospel that he has heard of in Colossae. He's thankful to hear that the gospel has taken root um, and, that they have become, and that they have come to faith through the proclamation of the word that's been brought to them. Epaphras has reported to Paul that the Colossians have received the gospel, that it's taken root, but also that it has borne fruit in their lives. Their conversion fills Paul with God-filled joy because their lives exhibit precisely the qualities that we should expect in new believers, which are faith in Christ, love for all God's people, and hope for heaven. Epaphras had witnessed the faith that the Colossians had in Christ Jesus for salvation, of the love that they had for all the saints, a love that was so counter to human nature that it surely pointed to the work of the Holy Spirit. And their faith and their love were born out of the eternal hope promised in the gospel that they had received. Hope is the springboard for the truth, for the faith and the love that Paul speaks of here in Colossians. We've talked of this hope of the Colossians before. It's the same hope that we read of in Romans, the sure hope that all that had been promised to them would come to pass. It's an eternal hope stored up for us in heaven, Paul says, the reality of God's presence for eternity. It's not subjective based on their own relative faith, but objective based on God's promises. While not yet something that the Colossians have experienced, their ultimate salvation already exists, reserved for them in heaven, the spiritual realm in which God dwells. Therefore, that which will be revealed 
even now exists in the transcendent realm of God's person and purposes. This is the already but not yet, this life between the two advents that we're about to experience as we walk toward Christ's first coming and anticipation of his second coming. Now, sometimes it can be hard to wait. As we endure the suffering of this world, illness, heartache, loss, as we mentioned earlier, it can be really hard to wait to take hold of the promise of hope that Paul mentions here. So Christ gives us what we need to wait. Namely, the grace and the peace that Paul mentions at the outset of his letter. Grace to preserve us through all life's various trials. And peace to endure the constant conflict of this world. Patiently enduring, it doesn't mean that we don't experience a world of pain. But there is one who has endured all the pain that we could ever experience And he sees us in our sorrows. And he's there with us. Jesus says, I know your ups and downs. I know all your pain, all your suffering. I know because I entered this world and took on flesh and endured every trial. You're not alone. Grace and peace to you. Have hope. So Paul is thankful when he hears of the miracle of this little church in the Lycus Valley. It was great cause for celebration and great thankfulness for Paul. It's our celebration too, for for we know that we have been made God's holy and faithful ones. We are brothers and sisters with a common father. We are in Christ and are part of the joyous mystery of his body. The grace of God has been freely poured on us. We have peace, shalom, the well-being that results from divine grace and the presence of God. And God has given us faith, love, and hope. Faith in Christ, love for all the saints, and hope laid up in heaven. And after Paul expresses his thanksgiving for these marks of the gospel taking root in Colossae, he turns his prayer, he turns to his prayer for them that they too might be thankful. Paul's prayer for the Colossians has at its heart the desire that they will walk in such a way that is worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit, increasing in knowledge, and being strengthened and giving thanks. Paul's not speaking about a walking worthy that earns grace, but a walking worthy in the Christian life that expresses the grace that we have already received. A desire to please God born out of a place of comprehending the grace that we have received through Christ. In fact, this is the heart of the good news and the essence of the Christian life, knowing God. Life in the new covenant for believers is a life that includes both the knowledge of God's will in light of the coming of Christ, as well as the provision of his spirit to enable new covenant obedience. 
bearing fruit, growing, being strengthened, and giving thanks. The key to unlocking this grace-fueled obedience is the knowledge of God. Paul says he wants the church at Colossae to increase in knowledge. The greater we know God, the greater the depth of our thankfulness, and the greater the fruit to come to know the Lord, to understand his will better, to find our deepest pleasure in him, in fellowship with him, knowing that he is yours and living with him and for his glory. Listening to his voice through, voice through his word, serving him with our hands, sitting with fellow believers at his table, and responding in thanksgiving. As we've already said, Gratitude envelops Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae, indicating its fundamental place in the life of the Christian. Thanksgiving is the perpetual attitude of Paul and is to be the disposition of all the Christians at Colossae. He's always giving thanks for the faith, hope, and love of the believers there. And the Colossians and all other Christians by extension, are admonished to give thanks for their great salvation in an abundant and overflowing manner. Paul places such an emphasis on thanksgiving because gratitude is a central virtue of God's redeemed people. And while an ungrateful, disp while an ungrateful disposition toward the Lord is a principal vice of fallen humanity, we read about this in Romans 1. It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish, heart, foolish hearts were darkened. As one author put it, ingratitude and pride go hand in hand. Once we reject God, we become arrogant, thankless creatures. Old covenant Israel perpetually fell into idolatry because they did not remember the Lord who brought them out of Egypt. They ended up thanking gods who were no gods at all for their redemption. May we never fall to such ingratitude, but with joy give thanks to the Father, as Paul teaches us here. This is the summit of Paul's prayer, and thanksgiving is diffused through all of it. Walking worthy of God means constantly giving joyous thanks. The giving of thanks plays a prominent role in Colossians because it signals the reality of their spiritual experience in Christ. The giving of thanks implies that what has been received has not been earned, but is a gift. Thanksgiving, therefore, is the flip side of a key Pauline theological claim, which is that Christians are saved by and live in grace. Paul names three reasons here at the end of his prayer that the Colossians have to give thanks. He says that they should constantly give thanks because God in Christ has qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, and has redeemed us by the forgiveness of sins. First, God qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. This word qualified in the Greek um, is used only one other place in Paul's letters. Um, 
in his second letter to the Corinthians, he says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. That word sufficient, the same word for qualified that's used here in Colossians, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The emphasis here is that this qualification, this sufficiency, is something that we could never achieve on our own. But this qualification, being qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints, is granted. It's never earned. The Father does the qualifying. Thankfulness can be the only appropriate response to such a wonderful gift. And the qualification is that all those who come to faith in Jesus Christ are made saints. It is glorious to be in the glorious company of the saints. No matter how frail we may feel as Christians, we are made special to God because we have been reserved for him and been made saints in him. So we can proclaim with Paul and the Colossians, my goodness, I'm a saint. Is there anyone in the world with greater privileges than I because I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? The second reason for thankfulness is that we've been delivered. Thanks be to the Father, he has rescued us from sin and Satan and graciously brought us into another realm and rule, which is the kingdom of his Son. Thanks be to God. And finally, Paul says, We can give thanks because we've been redeemed. God in Christ offers forgiveness for all our sins, no matter where we've been, which means that nobody ever has to be a slave to their history. What a cause for thanks. So Christians will be marked by thankfulness to the Lord, this witness of the confidence given in Christ, that we are able to endure with joy and thanksgiving is a mark of the wonder of God's grace. Thankfulness will arise due to the recognition of God's power in the gospel and the fruit of the gospel in our lives, our deepening knowledge of him and his grace in the gospel, and his strengthening power that enables them to persevere. Let us in joyful continuity with the Colossians daily celebrate the good news of the abundance life in Jesus Christ. Now, it's obviously difficult to follow Paul's admonition to give thanks in all circumstances, which is why we need strengthening from on high to preserve with joy, to persevere with joy as we give thanks to the Lord. Um... As I mentioned earlier, I know many of us in this room have faced great trials recently, um, great challenges to our ability to give thanks to the Lord. Um, A couple of years ago, a good friend of mine, one of my best friends, um, his mom was diagnosed with cancer um, just before Thanksgiving, and um, they created a a CaringBridge site where they would post regular journal entries about her 
progress and what was going on so that we could be prayerful. And I'd like to share one of those excerpts here. It's, um, this is just the day after Thanksgiving, um, while having just two weeks ago been planning to have the whole family gathered around the table to celebrate and to give thanks. Um, the family found themselves in three different cities, um, mom in the hospital in Houston, um, some of the kids in Birmingham, um, husband in a nearby hotel. And the, the, the entry says this, it says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. The reason I know this verse is that I've heard it out of my mom's mouth. This is my friend writing. If she found her rest in results and outcomes, if her joy hinged upon her health, then today would be a rough day. Before her chemo treatment began yesterday, the results of the spinal tap came back. The doctors found cancer in her spinal fluid, which then caused them to update her treatment plan. Instead of a normal treatment of chemo, they decided to give her an intense treatment. Instead of allowing her to be discharged today, they, they've, they're keeping her through the weekend. She was told that her treatment yesterday would last eight hours. She doesn't know how long it actually lasted because she was able to sleep through most of it. She only remembers the end when the nurse told her, you did so good going through this. A lot of people have a really hard time. In the midst of so much bad news, this is cause for thanksgiving. But my friends, there remains a deeper cause. If she gave thanks based on the news she's been receiving, it would be a roller coaster. If her rest was based on her results, she would be exhausted. Roller coasters are not restful. But my mom has already received her good news, and that cannot and will not change. That the love that Jesus has for her is not a roller coaster. It's the steadiest thing she has in her life. And in him, she finds rest. At the root of her thanksgiving is something that can't be taken from her. He has made her his own, and he will be faithful to her. He reigns as king, and there is not a single cancer cell that has slipped outside of his dominion. You all know my mom, and you know that this truth permeates her life. And for this reason, she's not afraid of bad news. For this reason, she can give thanks today. I wish I could explain to you how overwhelmed she's been by the care and love you've shown her. Please continue to send her messages, even though she can only heart back. And please continue praying for her as she goes into her next round of chemo. Around 5 p.m. tonight, we love you and hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. About a year and a half after that was written, um, my friend's mom went home to see the Lord. But in the midst of so much trial, it's the power of the Holy Spirit who presently lives with us to remind us of all the blessings that we have in Christ that gives us the ability to give thanks. And consequently, no Christian can live a life perpetually void of gratitude. 
while it may not always be easy, God's work of grace brings us peace in relationship with him that we may have the disposition, the dependency, and the humility that makes us ready receptors of that grace that propels us towards things. So the emphasis in the concluding verses of Paul's prayer is on thankfulness to the Father for his work of salvation through the Son. He is the one who has qualified us for the inheritance. He's the one who has delivered us from the realm of darkness. And he's the one who has brought us into the saving rule of his beloved Son. And in his Son, we have the assurance and the forgiveness of sin. I'll conclude with a few words. Um, First, that we recognize thankfulness doesn't come naturally. The life of gratitude is especially difficult in a culture such as ours that exalts the proud, despises humility, and enthrones self as the highest authority. In a world consumed by indifference and a lack of appreciation, Christians can engage in a moment-by-moment protest of thankfulness. Persistent gratitude will set us apart from the world, making us salty to a self-indulgent culture. Second, we must return again and again to the great reality of the cross. It proclaims that Jesus died for people like us, people who forget to say thank. He's so patient with our obstinate ingratitude that as we come to the cross daily, we begin to see our pride and thanklessness crucified. In their place, the resurrection life of gratitude dawns. This is the life that knows the Savior's blood was the awful currency for the debt of ingratitude. This is the life that sees the crucifixion and cannot find words to say thank you enough. This is the life of the sinner saint who recoils from his lack of thank from his lack of thankfulness and turns to the one whose thankless work for sinners such as us makes gratitude the only option. What Christ did for us in his first coming, ultimately at the cross and resurrection, gives us full confidence that we will be loved, accepted and welcomed when he returns in his second coming. And as we pass through this feast of thanksgiving and into the season of Advent, we are thankful for the inauguration of Christ's rule and his promised reign now and forever. Let's pray. Father, this morning, though we come to you as a broken people, we have so much reason for thanks for your son whom you gave, and that we might have a restored relationship with you, God, that you have qualified us, you have um, redeemed us, God, to share in the inheritance of the saints. Father, for that we give you great thanks this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.